We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's actually kind of a special edition, Ryan. I mean, I know we've been doing shows all summer, but this show officially kicks off our 2023 Notre Dame football coverage because, man, it is game week, dude. It is. I can't believe it. It doesn't feel like it. It's August 22nd. I'm still kind of in the finish up camp mode, but, man, it is game week. Notre Dame kicks off in four days against Navy Ryan. You and I have spent hours upon hours upon hours talking about this Notre Dame football team in 2023, both on the show and in our own personal conversations. And in four days, Ryan, we're going to get a chance to see what Notre Dame is all about. I cannot wait. And they're going to kick the season off in Dublin, Ireland against the against the, the Naval Academy, the midshipmen from the Naval Academy, the middies who do not run the midline that often, nearly enough anyway, 2.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, Ryan, at Aviva Stadium, as I said, in Dublin, Ireland. Notre Dame is a 20-and-a-half point favor right now. I was asked this morning if I would take that, and I said, man, I would, first of all, I'm not a better, but I would never take an opening weekend spread line against a triple option team with brand new coaches because you just never know. But big weekend for Notre Dame, Ryan. We're going to finally get a chance to see what this Notre Dame football team is all about. They're not going to be defined by what happens this weekend, but it's our first glimpse of what this team is going to be and what it's going to look like. Well, I think that the offseason has a lot of layers to me, right? It's it's There's moments of extreme excitement there's moments of and this is kind of like the fall camp scenario right as far as like you feel really good and then you hit a little bit of a wall where you're like oh maybe this isn't going to be as good as we thought maybe we should second guess this maybe we're not quite as strong in this position group maybe we're stronger in this position group like we've been having kind of that battle back and forth over the last few weeks of is this team as good as we think are they as as ready to take that next step and fortunately, Brian, like this week leading up to the first game is always one of those weeks where everyone has hope. I mean, every football program out there in college football, you feel good about your prospects. You feel good about what's happening. You are 
excited about what is about to unfold in front of your eyes. And this is the ultimate excitement. And the fun parts of being an analyst is that soon we will have a very good understanding of what we were right about, what we were wrong about, and everything in between. So this is like a fostering of every feeling that we have about Notre Dame football, the excitement, the angst, the nervousness, but also the clarity for what the mm-hmm. 2023 Notre Dame team is going to look like. And it's it's kicking off soon, man. So, I mean, no season like football season, buddy. No season. You know, Ryan, th- this, this time of the year is always, I think, for me, the most exciting because of that unknown. You know, the, the unknown of, is this team what I think it's going to be? Is it going to, is it going to be better than I think? Is it going to disappoint? You know, there's always sort of that, I study Navy film and I study Notre Dame film and I study Kennesaw State film. I'm thinking, yeah, Notre Dame should dominate this game. And then I have a million reasons to talk myself into why I'm not as confident in that, you know, and that's just that back and forth because there still is so much unknown about both of these teams. But, uh, you know, when we do previews down the road, we're going to talk about what teams have done that season. We're going to be able to pop in film of what those teams have done. With Navy, you know, it's like if I if I'm studying the Navy option, I have barely watched any Navy film the last two weeks. It's all been Kennesaw State film. It's all been studying what Kennesaw State does because they have a new offensive coordinator. So it's going to be an interesting conversation. Let's just talk a little bit about that matchup, Ryan. Obviously, this is going to be, I believe, the 96th time that Notre Dame and Navy have played each other. The series began in 1927. And the only time they have not played since 1927, Ryan, was 2020 because of all the COVID nonsense. They played every year during World War II, but obviously during the COVID year they didn't play because of uh, just how everything that, that went down that season. Notre Dame holds an 81-13-1 advantage. I was shocked when we first started doing the series history a couple of years ago. I was shocked that there's only one tie in this game, in this series. I just figured there'd be a lot more ties because I, uh, I just kind of feel like the option when you're just talking about the power running and, the way those two teams played for years, you just would, I would have assumed that, but they didn't. Notre Dame has won five straight in this matchup. And I believe 10 of the last 11, the exception being the 2016 season when Notre Dame lost to Navy and Jacksonville by a point. Navy's got a new head coach this year, Ryan, as well. It's a new era, right? Ken Niamatololo was a part of the Navy program for over 20 years. First as their offensive coordinator under Paul Johnson. Then he took over and really built Navy into a really Really quality program, Ryan. Obviously, a couple of years ago, Navy decided to make the decision to jump into the AAC, the American Athletic Conference. And for those first couple seasons, Navy was pretty good. They played in the in the uh, conference championship in both years, uh, went eleven and two in nineteen in two thousand and fifteen, and went nine and five in two thousand and sixteen. And that followed a stretch of his first seven years in in at at Navy. They won at least eight games every season. He had a pair of nine wins and a 10 win. And then, of course, the pinnacle was that 11-2 season in 2015, followed by a 9-5 and five season, then uh, fell off a little bit next couple of years, 7-6, and 3-10, and 10, and then had a bounce back in 2019. They went 11-2. Of course, Notre Dame beat them pretty convincingly. But over the next two years, Ryan, they just went 11-25. Uh, and 25. In this past season, they got rid of Coach Nia Matalolo, who had done a lot of really, really good things. For Navy, replaced him with, uh, uh, I always want to say Brian Chestnut because I combine Brian Newberry and Grant Chestnut, the offensive coordinator's name together, but it's Brian Newberry, who is a first-time head coach, never been a head coach before. This is his first job. He has been uh, at Navy since 2019. He took over as defensive coordinator 
Uh, he's the guy that led. Uh, I think it's the, the stat I had, Ryan, in the article today was uh, I think about like 31 points a game, something like that, the three years before he arrived. And they've given up about 26 since then, but they've had that one season to kind of puff that up a little bit. Last year, they gave up 24 points a game. I would argue their 24 points a game was way too high for how good that defense was at times last season. Their right. offense was just so bad. They just kept giving teams the football, and their offense could do nothing. They only averaged 21.9 points per game. But it was a it was a really good – it was a salty defense, I think, as a, as a way of putting it. Not an overly talented defense. We've seen far more talented Navy defenses in recent seasons. But it was a really well-coached, aggressive attacking defense. Now – he becomes head coach, and you've got this really interesting Kennesaw State connection. His defensive coordinator, who's been at Navy for a few years, came with him from Kennesaw State because yeah. because obviously Brian Newberry came from Kennesaw State. He's a defensive coordinator since the program's inception. I believe he started there in 2014, 2013, 2014. They didn't actually start playing games till 2015. Him and Grant Chestnut came in together. He and when he was promoted head coach, he brought in Brian Chestnut as the offensive coordinator, PJ Volkers, the defensive coordinator. They were all together at Kennesaw State. Now, here's you're like, what is this Kennesaw State connection? Here's what it is Brian Bohannon is the head coach at Kennesaw State. He took over, he's been the only coach they've ever had. Again, they started playing football in 2015. He came from Navy, so that's sort of that back and forth. And so, there's that connection between the two teams. That's why Kennesaw State's always been an option team. So really interesting background, Ryan. And, and there's been some people saying, you know, are they going to go away from the option? Hard for me to think he's going to do that when you consider this guy's been part of a program that's done that for so long. And his first hire was to go hire a guy uh, from Kennesaw State whose philosophy has its roots back to really the Ken Niamatololo, Paul Johnson era of, of some really good football at Navy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're stressed about buying tickets or doing some last-minute ticket hunting to college football games, concerts, comedy shows, your favorite activities, game time is the place for you. They take the stress out of buying tickets. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. 
The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's gametime.co. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you were going to trend away from the triple option, you're probably going to find a quarterback coach somewhere and like a young and kind of energetic staff that's kind of putting together some interesting offensive structures, right? I mean, that that consists, and for people that don't know Kennesaw football, I mean, to your point, Brian, it is run eerily similar to what we've seen yes. of Navy. You know, it really is. You, you talk about the triple option, but even when we talk about defense, I mean, we're going to talk about a, a lot of three-man fronts and a lot of movement on the second and third level, a lot of aggressiveness. I mean, they are mirror images of one another because they understand in order for each of their programs to compete, they have to slow the game down a little bit. They have to control the clock. They have to maintain possession, not shoot themselves in the foot. There's a low margin for error usually for these teams that choose to run the triple options for whatever reason, you know, from a talent perspective, depth perspective, and anywhere in between. So, yeah, that connection does definitely lead you to believe that that is where this thing is trending, that it's going to be consistent with the triple option. I know a lot of people are talking about the rotating of quarterbacks, which we'll talk sure. about, talking about the uncertainty. So will there be wrinkles on top of what right. they do? Sure, I'm sure there will be. But I still think that there's a baseline foundation of the triple still being intact in Navy. That's right. Somebody said they are forced to run the triple option due to the personnel they have. To a degree, yes. But I also, th- I mean, there's a reason the academies all run some form of the option. Right now, they all run a different version of it, which is kind of interesting. Navy's been always been more of a veer team. Air Force has always been a little bit more of a flex bone team. And then Army's more of a midline team. So there, there's, it is kind of interesting. But this is going to be a, an interesting matchup, Ryan. And it's one that I always don't look forward to, but also do look forward to. And I would always, I would encourage everyone who, especially younger folks who maybe don't know the history of this series. I understand why some don't want to play it. I would encourage you to go to irishbreakdown.com and read the story uh, that is on our front page, and it's titled Forged in Blood, Notre Dame versus uh, Navy, a series Forged in Blood. It was written by Andrew McDonough, who's a contributor to Irish Breakdown a couple of years ago. And we just he and I just decided, you know what? We're going we're gonna to publish this every year of Navy Week just to remind people of, of why this series matters and why Notre Dame does should show loyalty to Navy. And, and not a loyalty, but a, a reverence for Na- the Naval Academy and for Navy and what they've done. So I would encourage everybody to, to check that out. Let's get into a little bit more specifics of this particular game, Ryan. And for those who, who are questioning, today we will have a mailbag today. Next two days we won't have mailbags after our shows, but today we will. So if you do have questions, go ahead and throw those in there. Let's talk, before we dive deeper into Navy, Ryan, let's talk about this game from a Notre Dame standpoint and what this game means for Notre Dame. This game does absolutely nothing for Notre Dame from the standpoint of proving their national worth. There's nothing Notre Dame is going to do that's going to make anyone say, oh, wow, they beat a 4-8 Navy team. They're, they're, they've arrived. 
But I do think this is an important game for Notre Dame for some obvious reasons that it's true for everyone. You get a chance to kick your season off. It's your first chance to play football. But I also think it's an opportunity for Notre Dame, Ryan, to, to be on a bit of a spotlight. I mean, look, people are thirsting for football, and the only game being played at 2.30 on Saturday is going to be the Notre Dame game. The rest of the games yeah. don't start till that evening. So you are going to be on a little bit of a national spotlight, and it's going to be our first chance to really see what this football team is all about, Ryan. We are not going to get all our answers about who this Notre Dame team is going to be in the first two weeks. We just aren't. Because Notre Dame could go out there on Saturday and dominate and then dominate again next Saturday against Tennessee State. And we still don't really know how good this football team is going to be because these really aren't very good football teams at this point. I mean, if we're being honest. But I still think it's an opportunity for Notre Dame to go out and show themselves because I sometimes, Brian, Ryan, I think you can you can show you can show me something as an analyst when you are playing an inferior opponent. It tells me a little bit about your leadership. So I think what we're gonna learn from Notre Dame this weekend is. Does this team love playing together, right? You see it all the time, these really good teams. Like, this team just loves playing together. I felt that about Georgia last year, you know, uh, even more so than the year before. The year before, I just thought they were really good. Last year just looked like a team that liked playing together, liked being together, and would battle through some different things. And so we're going to find out if that team is that way, right? And, and I think that's the biggest thing for me is, does this team play with confidence? Does this team play with speed? And does this team play with fire? When you're playing a team you're supposed to beat. When, it's easy to get up for Ohio State, Ryan. But can you get up for this Navy game? That's something I'm looking forward, forward, forward to seeing if they can do that this weekend when we talk about sort of what, what's in it for Notre Dame this year. Well, I think I think you could also kind of parlay it to what you saw last year for Notre Dame. You know, like if there was a lot of good that I think came out of year one under Marcus Freeman, but we've talked about it, right? There was – Last few years under Brian Kelly, it had become Brian Kelly beats every team he should be, right? Every team. And last year, Notre Dame lost a couple games to teams that they just have no business losing to, right? And I think that, one, you'll get a little bit of a different understanding of Marcus Freeman to kick off this year because you'll see that there's an attention to detail to just burying the the inferior teams, quote-unquote, right? I think you can kind of calm that nerve a little bit. And also, Brian, like, honestly, every team is different, right? It's all like a chapter to a book. There's no doubt about that. But this almost feels like two different tenures for me, which I know is probably a little bit hyperbolic, but, like, not fully, right? Like, last year, in year one under Marcus Freeman, you had a first-year head coach, which you were had a lot of questions about as far as, like, what would that look like? You've never seen him as a head coach before. He also had an inexperienced quarterback. He had some inexperience in general. I mean, that that team was loaded with a bunch of sophomores last year. Like, that was the bulk of your team, at least offensively, that you were, like, hoping that Lorenzo Styles and Logan Diggs and Audrey Estime and Tyler Buckner and all and the two offensive Joel, tackles. Blake Fisher. Yeah. yeah. Right? Mitchell was Evans a, was your number two tight end. Yeah. It was a heavy sophomore year last year for offense. So, it was a young team. It was a unproven team, and it was a team that had some question marks. This year feels a lot different because a lot of those kids that got thrown into the fire last year as younger kids played. A lot of them played last year. And also, you now have Sam Hartman coming in as a 60-year senior in a proven known commodity. So I think expectations are always the same at Notre Dame as far as you're going to get try to compete for national championship. You're going to try to make the playoffs. That's the standard, right? But I think if the reasonable expectations was is that there were some forgiving that happened last year during the season because you're like first year head coach, 
young football team, inexperienced football team in some spots, quarterback got hurt, yada, yada, yada. All those things kind of added together. This year, you have a quarterback that's played a lot of football games. You have guys that were sophomores and juniors last year that are now entering a year two of much higher experience level under this coaching staff. And then you have the natural maturation of year two under Al Golden on the defensive side of the football. So this almost feels like two completely different tenures of Notre Dame football, which again, hyperbolic to a degree, but I think the expectations this year are a lot higher than what they were last year. A lot of people just kind of want to see what it looked like last year. Like what's this going to look like? What is, what's what are the differences going to be? What are the similarities this year? It feels like Marcus Freeman has complete control of his football team, and we're going to get a much deeper understanding as far as how good can this coaching staff be at the University of Notre Dame with a proven commodity, a quarterback with more experience under the belt. Yes, it's still going to be young in certain areas. There's no doubt about it. We talk about all the true freshmen that are in the too deep on this depth chart that was released on Monday, right? But regardless, I think that we just have more of an expectation for what we can expect and hope for what we should expect out of Notre Dame football in 2023. Here's something else we're going to find out, Ryan, because part part of this is you, you mentioned we're in year two of Marcus Freeman. There's still a lot of things we don't know. As of right now, here's who we know Marcus Freeman is because of what we've seen. His teams got off to a slow start, finish strong in a season, get off to a slow start. Uh, that was true, not just big picture wise as a football team, but also against Navy. You have a 35 to 13 lead at halftime. You win 35 to 32. That's how that game played out last year. You look at the way the season started. They started off 0 and 2 last year, seemed to right the ship against North Carolina to a degree BYU, and then you lose again. You know, to uh, or you know, you actually won uh, three in a row. You got Cal, UNC, and then BYU, and then you lose a game to Stanford. So that's that's who Marcus Freeman is because of that's all we know. So here's the question. We're going to find out, in my opinion, part of partly of, again, doesn't define who this team is long long term and who it's going to be in you know three weeks or five weeks or ten weeks. But we will learn, you know, was last year just a, a Marcus Freeman being a first time head coach playing against Growing a games. really tough early scenes, season schedule, right? Against two quality football teams that combined to win 20 games last year. Right, Ohio State yep. and Marshall combined to win twenty games last year. Yep. You know, um, or, or, or is he a guy that says, "Hey, look, that was last year. We have these things. This things happen. You know, all that new staff. I was learning and all that. We come out this year against a team we're supposed to beat, and we're going to come out playing fast and playing hard and executing and, and coming out and say, "Hey, we're, we're going to start off strong and then build on it." That's something we're going to learn this weekend about Notre Dame because, again, with Brian Kelly. He had established track record of, of of who he was in openers. Notre Dame tended to play pretty well in openers, not always, but for the most part, played really, really well, really going back to 2014 when they just pounded Rice at the beginning of the season. And then you saw in 2015 they beat, uh, they beat um, Texas really good, and obviously 2016 didn't get off to a good start. But I actually thought that was probably Notre Dame's best game of the season offensively. That 2016 game that they lost to Texas of 50 to 47, you know, but you come out in 2017 and you absolutely obliterate Temple in the opener, uh, beat Michigan convincingly. I mean, it's no seven point game, but there was no doubt who the better team was that day. It was certainly Notre Dame. Uh, Come out 2019, go on the road, beat Louisville 35 to 17. 2020, you have a two touchdown win at home over Duke. 2021, 
you don't play great in the fourth quarter. You learn to put a team away, but you still get an, an, a road win over Florida State. You know, going back to you know Brian Kelly's start at Notre Dame, he'd only lost what one seat, two season openers, I believe. Right? You had South Florida back in 2011, and then and you had uh, you had the game against Texas, and they started off with some good teams at times, and so we kind of knew what we were going to expect. We're still learning about Marcus Freeman. And then here's the other question we have, Ryan. We we know what this team was in camp. Physical, fast, flying around. How's that going to translate? Can you get this team to translate? As the coaching staff, can you get it to translate into Saturdays? That's going to be another part of what we're going to see from this football team and what we're going to learn beginning on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's about a year of growing pains and maturation, like I kind of said, right? Like that's stuff that I want to see. And honestly, Brian, like the one – I think the best thing that I've been hearing this offseason outside of just like individual gains, right? Each of these players and how they're growing is Notre Dame seems to play playing with a little bit of swagger this offseason. You know, you're hearing about a lot of barking, a lot of talking, but like a healthy amount, right? It's not like a arrogance. It's not like a disrespect. It's just competitiveness. And I think that that's one thing that also has kind of been missing from Notre Dame football in certain years is that there's just some years where, just not a lot of juice, man. Like there's not, I mean, last year you heard me say that almost every week. Like I just don't see juice. I don't see guys excited to play football. I don't see that swagger this off season. I think that there was an attention to competitive fire and being able to have a little bit of that swagger. So honestly, you know, not a lot of gain on a national perspective, but internal gains, I think that could happen with yeah. the Notre Dame football team is to come out and punch this team in the mouth, man. Right. Like not, obviously not literally, but like figuratively, come out and really assert your dominance and to have fun doing it. I mean, they need to have fun, man. At the end of the day, like the best teams to your point, like the Georgia last year, for instance, some of the best Nick Saban teams, there was just some swagger about those teams, right? Mm -hmm. Like they just walked around and it wasn't like outwardly arrogant. It's just confidence. Right. It wasn't and like a, the U in the A. Yes. It wasn't like that. It was just, exactly. man, they loved playing ball, but they loved playing ball together. That's exactly. how some of Lou Holtz's best teams were. I mean, you, you know, that's how the 2012 Notre Dame team was, right? And that's how the 2015 Notre Dame team was. Those guys love playing ball together, right? And like you said, that's something you see. And and I'll say this too, Ryan. I didn't see that in Ohio State. No. Which is why I felt like they kind of underachieved a little bit. I mean, they went 11-2, and two, but that team should have been better than they were. And you watch Michigan play. I don't think Michigan has the talent that Ohio State has. I, right. I know that a lot of Michigan fans will disagree with me, but I don't think they do. But that team plays hard. They play with fire, and they love playing together. And we're going to find out this team does, right? Because I'll say this. Notre Dame's not, you know, announcing to the college football world, we're back by beating Navy 50-10. Yep. to 10. But I, I, don't, I do think it is a resume builder in the from the standpoint of just it's all eyes are going to be on you this weekend. Sure. Like, all – Every college football fan is going to be watching that game. Why? Because there's nothing else to watch. They, they they want football to be back, and there and there's going to be a lot of SEC fans and Big Ten fans and Big Twelve fans and Pac twelve fans and ACC fans that want to see Notre Dame fall flat on their face, right? So they're going to be watching for that regard as well. So it does give you a chance to kind of announce yourself a little bit, and and how are you going to announce yourself? Because if you look back, some of the best Notre Dame teams that we've seen in my opinion, kind of announced themselves pretty early. I mean, you think back to the 2012 season, you're coming off of an eight and five year, very disappointing season for Notre Dame. Obviously went into it very high expectations. Sound familiar? And then they collapsed early. They, they lost two games early 
and then went on a nice little run, you know, won eight of their next nine games, but then played USC and lost by two touchdowns. I mean, am I sounding familiar at all? And then they played a, a really good team at the end of the year and lost in a game where they were competitive, but they just couldn't, you know, they just weren't good enough. Finish eight and four. That sounds really familiar. The difference is, is that team in 2011 went out in the bowl game and kind of peed down their leg a little bit in the second half and lost to Florida State. This team went out in the bowl game and said, okay, we've got something to prove. And they, I thought, whooped up on South Carolina pretty good in the last two and a half quarters of that game. If not for a couple of miscues, that game's a blowout. Despite giving up, you know, two, two pick, two, two interceptions, one that got returned for a touchdown in the first half. Yep. So, you know, we learned something about that team. And then that next year, Ryan, they come out, that team that was so disappointing the year before, lost the opener to a, I think, what, three and nine South Car- South Florida team. I think South Florida that year, I believe Ryan finished three and nine. Uh, let me go look at it. Five and seven. They were five and seven. Uh, they were coming off an eight and five year. They finished five and seven. So they were not a very good football team. But that next year, Notre Dame comes out in Dublin you know, new quarterback, some new faces on defense, a lot, you know, some changes, some, some lost Harrison Smith, lost Michael Floyd, lost some really good football players. And they came out and announced to everybody that, hey, we're going to be pretty good. And they whooped right. up on Navy really, really well. You know, you fast forward to that 2015 team, you start the season off against Texas and you come out and you just light Texas up from like jump from beginning to end, win 38 to three. The 2018 Notre Dame team that was really good. They jumped all over Michigan early, man. I mean, they were jumping all over Michigan. You had a kick, you had a what was it, 21 to three, and Michigan returns a touchdown on a kick return for a touchdown to make it 21 to 10. It really wasn't that close. You had a touchdown to Miles Boykin called back because of an illegal formation that would have made it 28 to 10 instead of 24 to 10. So there was some sloppiness from Notre Dame, but they physically dominated Michigan that entire game. And it was a sign of it's going to be a really good football team, and they were. So a lot of the best Notre Dame teams, Ryan, have have you start to see who they are early. You look yeah. at the twenty twenty one Notre Dame team that was that season was so. Uh, I'm just trying to think of the right way to say this. That Florida State game was exactly who Notre Dame was all year. Talented could just out talent you in games. Just had better players than you did but they were going to be undisciplined. They were going to have flashes, but then make dumb mistakes, drop passes, penalties on defense, and let inferior teams be in, in games with you. But at the end of the game, our dudes are better than your dudes. They really weren't that great of a team. They just were better than everybody else they played. Was that not just ex- exhibit of who Notre Dame was all year in 2021? You know, and and uh, we saw it a little bit last year too, right? And so, we do see a little bit of who you are because your identity starts to be seen in the opener. doesn't define you as a team based on how good you're going to be from an execution standpoint. You know, that stuff's all going to come, but it does begin to define you as far as what kind of football team are you going to be at your core, right? You can, if Notre Dame is sloppy on Saturday, but they are flying around physical punishing and this, the, the, the things we point to is like, you know, Sam Hartman missed a couple open guys on deep throws you know, the, the, the defense had a couple miss you know missed assignments as they're getting ready for the option. But, man, they were playing hard. They were flying around. I'll be happy as long as they get a W. I mean, we'll criticize stuff and we'll be critical of it, but I'm going to be like, you know, hey, man, 
that stuff can be corrected. When a team comes out and plays with no fire, Ryan, you don't just turn the switch on two weeks later when you go to NC State, right? If you're not fired up to play the first game of the season, it's going to tell me a little something about your football team. And that's something that, that you know, because it shouldn't matter about the opponent. Like, you get a chance to play football as a team for the first time. There should always be some level of excitement, no matter who's on the other side. Well, and, and it's, I think the other big layer for me is because there should be exuberance over this game. And I think it's because there are parts of this football team that are very young. And I think that it's also a good thing. We've talked about the stretch to begin the season, especially even outside of Navy, playing against Tennessee State and NC State and Central Michigan the first four games of the year, of getting Sam Hartman and the offensive coordinate, offensive play calling, and all that stuff maturated. But I also think, I mean, we saw the depth chart, right, Brian, of there's a lot of freshmen. They're going to play a lot this year for Notre Dame. And I think that that's another thing of getting this game, this season started off on a good foot is going to give guys like Jaden Greathouse, Jeremiah Love, potentially. So maybe Charles Jackasaw gets in the football game, football game at some point. Maybe a couple of those linebackers, the Drake Bowens of the world, the Jay Nosberry, Christian Gray. Getting some of those young guys on the field in a big moment, first game of the season, and start getting their starting getting their confidence flowing a little bit, start breeding into that. Because at the end of the day, there will be some people that if Notre Dame underachieves this year, there will be some people, analysts and fans alike, that look at the team and say, Well, they were really young. Sure, they were really young. Well, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse because I watch every year the Georges of the world where Bear Alexander is the best defensive lineman on the field for most of a national championship game for where uh, what's the defensive end Uh, Williams, who's the big number 13 for Georgia. He's a star in the game. Malachi Starks is a freshman All-American for their team on on the defensive side of the football. Youth is not an excuse. Youth is a is a crux that people like to use, a crutch that people like to use for why things didn't happen well. Well, this season, this first game against Navy, it sets up perfectly for some of these young guys that are going to be playing for Notre Dame to get a lot of confidence early on in this season. So I think that this game can really serve a lot of different ways to really get this team feel like they are they're heading towards the goal and they're having fun getting there and the yeah. confidence starts to exude out of them. Yeah, right. I'm just like sitting there listening to you getting fired up, you know, just, man, I just can't wait to see what this team is going to, is going to be all about. So th- that's, what's really on the line for Notre Dame is, is you set a tone, right? I mean, that's what you and I are both saying. If we had to, I mean, if we just said it in one sentence, how much fun would that be? Right. I mean, we wouldn't explain it, but when it really comes down to it, Ryan, you're setting a tone this weekend. You're setting a yep. tone of who you're going to be. You can build on it. You can improve upon it, but you don't yep. go from no passion to passion in three weeks, right? Exactly. You're going to find out what this team is about. Clean stuff up, sure. Let's, you know, we're going to dive into some different aspects of this matchup tomorrow in my solo show. You and I will get together on Thursday. We'll do a keys to victory for Notre Dame. We'll dive a little bit into that. Ryan, you've got something special that you're working on this week as well, which uh, won't announce to people yet because I want to make sure that we're able to actually get it done. But it's going to be a really cool look at at, at beating the triple option. I'm really fired up about that. Ryan came to me this morning with that idea. And if uh, we can pull that off, it's going to be pretty awesome. So I'm excited about it. But, uh, 
you know, and then we're also going to have a mailbag on Friday. So we got, we got a lot going on. So we're not going to dive into everything about Navy today. What we want to do today, Ryan, is just kind of talk a little bit about who Navy is and, and about yeah. the stressors that they can put on the team and just some briefly, some things about, you know, about how Notre Dame matches up against it. And we talked a little bit about Navy earlier, obviously we talked about Brian Newberry is their new head football coach, PJ Volker is their new DC and uh, uh, Brian Chestnut is their new or Grant Chestnut's their new offensive coordinator. And so, Ryan, when you look at this season, there's unknowns, but at the same time, there's a level of known about Navy because there is a bit of a continuation defensively. You kind of have an idea of what they're going to do. You can kind of look at their film and and figure it out. And I want to first talk about the Navy offense because this is the least known of what they are, but we still have some idea. And so, I think this triple option is going to look different than the one that Navy had in recent seasons, but it's still going to be the triple option. I mean, there's certain principles that you're going to see on film. When you look at Brian Chestnut, he was, he was nine years as the offensive coordinator at Navy or I mean at Kennesaw state. Uh, Yes. Nine years. They haven't been playing football for nine years. He actually started when the program got started, he got hired. Cause usually when you start a program, Ryan, you'll, you'll have coach, a coach in place for a year or two before the program starts. And so Brian Chestnut was actually hired before they started playing and so when they kicked off in 2015, he had been there. As I mentioned before, their head coach was an option guy from Navy. So that kind of uh, kind of built into that. But when you look at it, Ryan, specifically of what Navy brings back personnel-wise, I think it should allow them to make a pretty smooth transition into his offense. You've got four starting returners on the offensive line. Both tackles, your center and your right guard, are all back. Uh, their left guard plays. Lou Samoji used to point this out all the time. He said, you know, you, you – you look at Navy and, and you think, um, you know, hey, new guys, but they're, the way that they play the offensive line, the way they coach the offensive line, the way that their their situation is is set up, you you really you're not playing. Guys are playing a lot in that system, and yeah. so this isn't like Ben Purvis will be their new left guard. He, he's going to make a smooth transition. You know, Navy when they have at least four starters coming back in the offensive line, their line usually plays well together. Now. What I don't think is I don't think this is necessarily the most talented Navy line that we've ever seen, uh, and they had some struggles last year, but uh, they are experienced. They have their starting quarterback from last year back, although he's listed as the or in the starting lineup, which we'll get to here in a little bit, Ryan. Uh, bring back some experience at receiver. So obviously they had those guys, uh, the, the receivers from last year. They've got at least one back uh, from last season as well. And so they actually returned a decent amount, Ryan, which for me – is something, and we'll dive into specifics of what that system looks like. But for me, when you're talking about repl- bringing back seven starters from your offensive line, including your fullback and both wingbacks, uh, both, you know, or excuse me, one wingback, and then you bring back a starting wide receiver that was your leading receiver last year, plus four offensive linemen, that should allow you to make a pretty smooth transition into an offense that is going to look very similar to what you've already done. So you're just doing yeah. wrinkles. I mean, terminology is not going to be very different. So I, th- I think that whatever they're going to be under Brian Chestnut or Grant Chestnut, they'll 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 show it pretty quickly, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I th- I think that you you always build from inside out, and I think that's especially true for a triple option, right? Like offensive line and quarterback, and obviously with Levitai back as quarterback as as an or. I mean, you have some consistency there, right? You have some some reps. You have terminology that I would imagine is similar, right? Like I, I don't imagine that there's going to be too much 
carryover that you look at and say like that's completely out of the realm of what we've been doing offensively. I think there's going to be a lot of carryover in that instance. And I really think it starts with the offensive line, man. I think it starts from the inside out for most teams. I mean, that's that's pretty consistent on every level, right? Is is of like if I want an offensive coordinator to come in and have a somewhat seamless transition, yes, it's awesome to have somewhat similar terminology and structure to what we're trying to do, but also if you have a proven offensive line coming back or at least an experienced offensive line and a quarterback that's played, that's great building blocks to work off of, obviously, if you're Navy. So I think that there will be a pretty smooth transition. I would agree because, again, I mean, offensive linemen in the variations of the triple option, like you're cutting a lot. You're moving the same type of angles. You're you're working to the same spots for the most part. Like there's going to be a lot of carryover. Which is why I think that this marriage between Navy and Kennesaw State has kind of been born, right, Brian? It's yeah. like they, they're very familiar with one another, and they are. And I think that, again, I think that Kennesaw State has built their program to mirror Navy in a lot right. of ways. So I think that that carryover is important for a team that being consistent and being mistake-free is the only reason that they're going to be con- competitive and to win football games is by doing those things. Right, and they started playing football in 2015. They went six yep. and five in their first year. They went eight and three in year two. And then the next three years, they went 12 and two, 11 and two, 11 and three, made it the, yep. to the postseason every year. Then in 2020, they only went four and one because of the weird spring season for FCS yep. and all that. And then in 2021, they went 11 and two. Now they fell off last year, went five and six last year. They had a bunch of injuries. Their quarterback got hurt, missed several games and, and several other things. But you know, they took a little bit of a step back last year. But I mean, they got they got rolling quickly at Kennesaw. That's where Brian Newberry came from. He was their defensive coordinator uh, during that early stretch. I mean, he was that that three year stretch where they went to the college to the um, college football playoffs in the NCAA. Uh, they went to the quarterfinals two years, and in 2018, they finished fifth nationally that season, made it to the quarterfinals. Brian Newberry was their defensive coordinator. And so, you know, he understands what it's like being a defensive coordinator on an option team. And and when you look at Brian Newberry, he knows, or Grant Chestnut, he knows who he is and he knows what they do. So they do, like I said, they return a lot. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that we're going to see from Navy this year, Ryan, when you study their film, uh, they will run. I mean, you look, their version of the triple is basically the inside veer is what I saw from Kennesaw State. That's very similar to what Navy has been. Uh, there's the difference basically between uh, midline and Navier. There's a few differences. One is just aesthetically, you see it differently. The midline is the quarterback takes a step back and it's just right up the center's behind. I mean, you're coming right off his play side butt and you usually don't see a, a triple off of the midline. The midline really is a quarterback fullback play. You'll occasionally pitch it but it's not good to pitch it out of the midline because of just the angle you're pitching it uh, backwards a little bit more. It's harder to kind of get a flow. Now I, I did see something interesting from them. They'll occasionally run the, uh, the, 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 and you and I were talking about this before the show started, but they actually, uh, what I saw from Navy and I was like, I gotta, I gotta, or from Kennesaw state is I gotta go through and find some more film of this because they've really changed how they line up in recent seasons. And one thing that I saw last season that I didn't really see in past seasons, Ryan, and I'm gonna pull the clip up right here is they would line up in the I formation and, and run some of their stuff. Now, to me, it's a little bit easier to run a midline option out of I formation. It's still not ideal, but I think it gives them a nice little wrinkle 
this is them last year against Cincinnati. They'll of course line up in the normal, uh, the normal triple option look with the, you know, the, yeah. the double tight, you know, the, the double bunch with the tight end or the uh, receivers in and in a wing, uh, they'll do a lot of bringing the wings in as lead blockers, which we've seen from Navy a lot. That's not new. We did see them also do a little shotgun last year. I didn't see a ton of shotgun from them in like 18, 19. No. Uh, I didn't see it a ton in 21 or 20 in the limited games. The last two years they've done it, and I wonder if it's more in relation to the quarterback they had. The kid from Navy yeah. the last couple years, he was banged up last year, but you and I were talking about this in 21. He, he completed like, something like 60-some percent of his throws. He reminded me of the kid that Navy had back in 2016, uh, just not as big. But he he was a dynamic runner, but he's also a really good thrower. And so they, they've thrown the ball a little bit more. Formationally, it's not going to look a ton different. They like to do overloads at times and get leverages and numbers advantages and things like that. They'll run the midline, which is fullback quarterback. The The base offense is the, is the inside veer. Inside veer basically is coming at the guard. Uh, I believe it's an it's it's coming off the outside hip of the guard is the aiming point. So a lot of times he'll it'll the so aiming point is basically from where it's lined up, and so what'll happen a lot of times on the mid midline veer or excuse me the inside veer is you actually get kind of down blocks at that on that three technique by the tackle and the guard and they'll wash that down and the and the veer or the midline the fullback actually a lot of times end up coming right behind the tackle because yeah. of the angle of of that down block, but the aiming point is kind of off the guard. It's a little wider. And then that's where you'll get a lot of your triple stuff, you know, where they'll run the pure triples off that mid off that inside veer. I haven't seen them do a lot of outside veer, Ryan. I mean, you really don't see that anymore. It's just, it's more midline, uh, which is a quarterback fullback. It's inside veer, which is a triple, but more so quarterback pitch. You know, you'll see, you'll see them give the fullback a bunch on that as well, but you you always have the fullback as an option when you're running uh, when you run the option. But this one incorporates more of a true triple, where midline is not really a triple. Veer is more of a triple. They'll run uh, motions where they just jet across as opposed to the back stuff a lot on film, uh, which helps them get numbers. They'll run uh, toss and just toss a ball outside to a wing back. Uh, they'll run a kickout play, which is basically a look off of the veer where the, the action of the back and the quarterback is looks like the veer, but you've got your guard kind of kicking out the end. It's more of a true run play. You'll either hand on like a fullback dive almost like kind of look or the quarterback may duck inside uh, and, and kind of just keep the ball. It's not really a triple option. It's a designed run that goes yeah. to the fullback or the quarterback. So a lot of stuff that they do that looks like the action of the triple, it's not actually a triple. One of the biggest misnomers that people have about the quote-unquote triple option is really good triple option teams don't actually run triple option very often. It's usually – there's two options, you know, a lot of times. Uh, and and so they'll run, the, they'll run the, the veer, which is a true triple, but they don't run that like 90% of the time, you know, and so – uh, there's a lot of stuff that's designed to go to the quarterbacks, designed to go to the fullback. It's more of a double option. Uh, but that's basically what we see from them in the run game, right? It's not going to look like, oh, my gosh, we've never seen this before. I think some of the alignments they're going to get to, some of the motions they're going to get to, that stuff's going to look a little bit different. But when it comes down to the the run plays, that part is going to be very similar for Notre Dame when you break down the Navy film. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative 
global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to come back to, it's going to come down to stopping the fullback and stopping the quarterback. Like, Bingo. that's it, right? I mean... The wing backs, even if you are running a true triple, those guys aren't touching the ball a ton. Like that's why they average a crazy amount of yards per carry because right. it's like they're the last option. There you are, and you're outside for a ten plus yard gain. I mean, that's every year I feel like Navy had a kid that had like five hundred something yards, but only in like sixty carries, right? Because he averaged like nine yards a pop because he was just the, the the triple off of the option. One thing I'm curious with Brian is when they were in the eye, were they running any double dive stuff? As far as you know, fake to the fullback and then run in kind of a dive right right behind or Come on, with the, with the quarterback or with the running back? No, with the running back with the with the tailback. No, I saw some yeah. duck stuff from the quarterback where they would dive gotcha. him and then the quarterback would follow him right behind. Right. But they which would use still, the back. Which is still a double dive yeah. with the quarterback. They would yeah, do it I, where then the eye back would would kind of go in a motion to try to get the eyes of the linebackers going, basically. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So, yeah, they did some of that. And I only saw it in three, four games, saw it against Cincinnati, saw it against, I think, uh, Wofford. I'm trying to think yeah. of who the others were. But, I mean, I was talking to you like, man, I'm trying to find a couple of these games to see if they did this all the time. I watched Jacksonville State and didn't see them do it in that game. They were more traditional wing and that kind of alignment. Then I watched another game. Oh, uh, from earlier in the season where they were in shotgun a lot in that game. So like how they attack you from a look standpoint will vary depending on what they yeah. think you're going to do or what they're trying to accomplish. But the run game stuff stays true. And, and I love the fact that you said fullback first, because a lot of people yes. will focus on the quarterback. The key to beating the triple option is to number one, stop the fullback. And then number two, stop the quarterback and to attack it biggest mistake the teams make in my opinion are teams that try to slow play the option that's exactly what they want you to do they want to get their angles exactly you need to attack it and uh and so we'll see if Notre Dame does that now here's where we're going to see some wrinkles from Navy and it's been talked a lot about and you know you listen to their coach say and you're like okay whatever coaches say all types of things in camp but then you watch them play and especially the last couple of years, Ryan, there is definitely a different look to what they do throwing the football. Now they don't throw the ball a ton, right? So this isn't going to be a team that comes out there and just, you know, throws it 25 times. Last year, they averaged 17.6 attempts per game. 
the year before they were at 11.6. Part of that's a little bit misleading as well. There's a couple games where they just rolled people that yeah. they didn't throw the ball a whole lot because they didn't throw it at all in the second half. I mean, that, that, so their, their 2011 stats are a, 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 can be a little misleading in that regard, in my opinion, just because of how, you know, a couple games where they just didn't really need to throw it a ton. But that, you know, they're going to throw it a little bit more, but it's not so much the volume of pass attempts that's greater. It is greater. I think they threw about 70 more passes last year than Navy did, despite playing uh, one less game than Navy did last season. But it's the way that they do it. I mean, they will flat out drop back and throw a quick game and, and not just like banging a hitch into the boundary. I mean, they'll run snag. I've seen them run the snag concept, which is a semi quick, quick uh, throw. It's not the same as. Uh, you know, they'll run uh, out fade, you know, um, uh, fade outs. So like fades on the outside, just little quick speed outs from the inside guys. Yep. Uh, you know, I've seen them do some of that stuff. And then they'll what they'll also do, Ryan, and I don't know if you you had a chance to see this because I know you watch a lot of the defense, but they'll they'll do almost like a double option in the pass game. This is what this is what they'll do. They'll have and I've seen it a lot from either three by one formations, which is three guys to one side and one to the back. Uh, or they'll do it out of their two by two where they'll bring a guy over. But what they'll do is they'll read initially the boundary throw is the, is the window open. And if it is, they'll just bang a hitch. But if that's closed, the quarterback will look, he'll see, and then he'll roll out and they'll run some sort of flood type concept, some sort of like deep triangles, something like that, where they'll run like a go slide outs they'll run some wide fades and so they'll read that and then if he starts rolling out he's got a completely different read on that second one so it's a quick boundary read and then he goes so it looks almost like he sees it it's close and he's scrambling but if you look at the pass concepts it's actually like a double read if that's not there then we roll out and run some some kind of longer developing concept you know post snap switches overs from the backside uh and it's really kind of interesting, honestly, to watch it. I, I'm curious how that's going to translate to the FBS level, because if you watch George Kennesaw State, Ryan, I'm sure you'll say this: they had some athletes at Kennesaw yeah. State the last couple of years. Xavier uh, Shepard was the quarterback, right? Xavier yes, Shepard, I think. Last year. he got banged he up a little player. bit last year, and they just weren't as good when he was yeah. out. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Yeah. But when he's healthy, they're really dynamic because he can throw it. Yeah. To your point, they can throw it, and I think that's why. Uh, they have they don't have Ty uh, Lavatai as their starter. They have Blake Horvath. Blake Horvath's an athletic kid, but he's the better passer of the two. And I think for sure. this offense to really roll, they I, th- I think they know we can't just run triple all day because the thing that hurts Navy Ryan, in my opinion, is is being in a conference. And what I mean by that is being in a conference means teams see you all the time. Well, the sure. Kennesaw State staff understands that because they were in a conference. They know that a book gets rich. So they have to have some some different beaters to the things that people are going to do to the option. And I think attacking the perimeter with the pass game is sort of their answer. They don't do it a ton, but they do it at least under Shepard. They did it more efficiently because I think he was like 62, something like that percent in 2021, Ryan. Like that. He was sub 50 yeah. last year, or he was around 50 last year because their, their team wasn't as good and he was banged up. But you go back and watch some of their film from the year before. He was really efficient, and he could throw the ball down the field. I mean, he's an option quarterback, right? I mean, he's he, he throws it like an option quarterback, but he runs it really well, a lot like, like I said, like Will Worth in 2016 with Navy. But they're going to do a lot of different stuff. They'll do three-by-one pass stuff where it's just – it's a pure – like 
they don't do pure drop back a ton, Ryan, because the the way the protection is, a lot of their pass game stuff that's more down the field is like half rolls and and boots, like sprint out and bootleg type of stuff. But they will occasionally yeah. drop back, and I think they hit Cincinnati on a – somebody had to do it wrong. They did double wide fades, and they were right on top. It was like somebody did it wrong. And he just threw it up. Some kid made a great catch. They're so, I mean, they're going to do that. But uh, it's going to definitely look a lot different when it comes to throwing the football. They'll run uh, bubbles, like pre-snap read yeah. bubbles, RPO-type bubbles. If the quarterback sees you, if they're in a, in a – they'll line up sort of like in a twins look with a wing. And if your overhang is cheating way inside, he'll literally just pull it and throw the bubble, just like an RPO. And and so you'll see them do that stuff, Ryan. And And I don't know that Navy has the guys that should really do damage against Notre Dame in that regard, but – it takes one bad angle, one missed tackle, one you you know you bid on something. To next thing you know, they just got thirty cheap yards, and those are the yeah. dangers in the pass game. It's not that they're going to go out there and go twenty one of thirty for two hundred ninety five yards. It's just do they get those four or five cheap gains of twenty, thirty, forty, fifty yards that man you're dominating the option, dominating the option, and then all of a sudden you you have one missed assignment in the pass game and you give up that big play, and that right. happened to Notre Dame last year like, if you remember, yeah. It's it's like the 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 biggest concern is them going eight of fourteen, but those eight go for a buck sixty, right? Like that's exactly like twenty yards a pop. Like you don't want to hundred percent give up. The one you talked about yes uh, last year, where Cam Hart got sucked up and then they just threw it over top of him, right? Like that. That's the that is the difficulties with the triple. Sometimes is that if I'm a linebacker or a safety as a like it's taken down to a second level defender, whether he has quarterback to pitch or vi- or whatever it is is that you're so focused on your run fits and your run assignment that all of a sudden here's the misdirection, here's the waggle, and it's right over top of your head. Like that's the difficulty with the triple because they kind of lull you to sleep a little bit, right? Like it'll mm-hmm. lull you to sleep, they lull you to sleep. You know, you're just giving up three, four, seven, two, one, zero, but they keep themselves <laughs> on schedule. It's like yeah, the worst thing a triple option could ever do is to lose two to three yards in the first play, right. and then all of a sudden in two plays you're in third and 11. Like that's not where right. you want to be because then you're predictable. The triple option is supposed to not be predictable, which is why the passing game always averages 20-plus yards per catch. Seemingly. Right. Well, and you look at last year, Ryan, You know they were down from 18 yards per, per catch the year before to 15.7, which is not good for triple team. But the, in 2021, they were 10.8. This is this shows you how they kind of again they had a lot of injuries last year. Their yards per attempt during their and I took the the COVID year out because I just I think it's such an outlier when you only play five games. It's just really hard to to compare. You can have one good game or one bad game that's going to skew it way more in five games. So just the years they played full years, this was their yards per attempt over the years: 9.1, 9.5, 8.4, 9.7, 9.5. 10-6. Last year they dipped to seven and eight, as I mentioned. Just had a lot of injuries. Their yards per t- yards per catch: 18. Last year they dipped to fifteen seven. Was a bit of an anomaly. They never averaged more than one hundred fifty eight point nine yards per game, Ryan. But it was that, like you said, I think the number you gave is perfect. Like that eight of fourteen, because where Navy did it to you once last year, this offensive staff will do it to you. Try to do it to you five times. And that's right. the difference. Yeah. And, and or, you know, and, and if they can hit three of those passes, then all of a sudden they've done something to you. And they're going to throw the ball more uh, against teams like that, like Notre Dame, than they would against uh, normal normal FCS opponents the way that they were. And so we'll certainly we'll certainly see more of that from them this year, Ryan. But 
I mean, that that's going to be the key is like you said, I think you nailed it that you've got to be, you've got to be efficient. I think Cincinnati did a nice job against that last year. They went seven to 15, but yeah. only had 111 yards. Kennesaw state did mm-hmm. that. That's, that's fine. I mean, that that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good place to be. That's a good place to be. Of course, you know, this will be a little bit bigger line and, you know, and, you know, more FBS kind of guys, but man, look, Kennesaw had some dudes that can run now. I mean, like they, they had some dudes in my opinion that could come to Navy and play for them. If it wasn't, if they didn't have to go to the Academy, right? Like if it wasn't a transition from an FCS to an Academy, I think you'd have seen some kids from Kennesaw come up to that level. Cause they had some, some, some athletic kids that could play in, play in that for Navy, not for like Notre Dame or yeah. Georgia tech per se, but for a team like Navy, but that's going to be the key, right? Is just limit those big pass plays and, and dominate the trenches, which we'll get into a little bit more. And we'll do more of the keys to victory type of type of things here as we get into it. Brian, I want to talk a little bit about this defense because there's a lot of different ways you could describe this defense. It's it there are three, four by how they're listed. I think it plays a little bit more like a three, four alignment, three, three, five personnel. Because one of those outside linebackers is more of a safety type, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, body type John Marshall wise, kid last year who that was, was like 6'2", 200 really pounds, <laughs> had eighteen had like and a half tackles, tackles for loss. loss or something. Oh yeah, yeah, eighteen <laughs> yeah. and a half is what he had last year. Right, he was a really good football yeah. player. Well, he had like ten uh, and a half sacks, didn't he, or eleven yeah. sacks, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was. He, I'm pretty sure he was double digits. Ryan, let me let me look at this real quick. He yeah. was, yeah, ten and a half. Uh, he was a very yeah. disruptive football player last year. And as you mentioned, Ryan, he was 6'2", 209, right? I mean, so he's more Jack Kaiser than he is, you know, Drake Bowen, Kingston, Viliyama, Asa, those kind of guys, Asa guys, yeah. those kind of guys, and he, right? And he, had, he had, I believe he had two sacks against Notre Dame last year, did yeah. he not? He had yeah, something like I that, believe so, he did. Yeah. Let me let me go look at his numbers against Notre Dame last year. He had, he had a lot of tackles in that game, if I remember correctly. He had, against Notre Dame, he had oh, six tackles. He had mm-hmm. one and a half tackles for loss, one and a half sacks. He had one four half, sacks okay. against UCF. And here's the crazy thing is they changed. If you go, if you, if you remember, you go back and watch film, Ryan, they changed over the course of the second half of the year into a more aggressive defense. He had two sacks in the opener. He didn't have another sack until the Temple game on October 29th. And then yep. in the last five games, he had at least one sack in every game. And he finished with eight and a half sacks. And we saw a similar improvement in the he had three and a half tackles for loss against Delaware, didn't have another tackle for loss for the next three games, had one each against Tulsa, SMU, and Houston. And then the last five games, two and a half, three, one and a half, four, and then he had one against Army. So like they they got a lot more aggressive. I think they needed to. They had to try and force more yes. turnovers because their offense was just really struggling. Uh, yep. but so we're gonna see that. And and we we saw it. Like the Notre Dame game was sort of the epitome of uh, – it epitomized their entire season. They tried playing a little bit of their base defense early, lining up in their base looks, and Notre Dame ripped them up. Second half, they just said, yeah. F it. <laughs> I mean, they just said, we're coming. And yeah. Notre Dame missed – I mean, the game gets put away in the third quarter if Notre Dame ran a wheel route to Michael Mayer. He's wide open. And if you hit him, it's a touchdown, it's ball game. It's like 42-16, to 16, it's over. And Drew Pine missed him, and then that just began the – just a – Constant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to see how the, the interior of the offensive line can handle all that, but they're going to come at Notre Dame. They're going to throw a lot of different things at them, but they really start out of a, out of sort of a, I would say a three, four defense with three, three, five personnel ish 
when you look at their starting lineup, as I mentioned before, here's their, their starting outside guys. This is so they basically have uh, they have a Raider and a striker are their two outside guys, and then a Mike and a Will yeah. inside. Their Raider is the bigger guy. He's the guy that will walk up almost like they're almost sometimes Ryan from an alignment standpoint, almost look kind of like Notre Dame, where that that four man front. Yeah, where that that Raider comes up and he's 6'5, 227. Jordan Sanders, actually a pretty decent football player. Uh, you know, but but he'll come up and kind of just stand up on the edge and just be a guy that almost plays like a viper at times. So they have that guy. And then their striker is more of a that's what that's what uh, Marshall played last. John Marshall played last year, yes. Ryan. That's kind of a, a, a hybrid. He'll line up like a Sam sometimes. He'll line up as like a Rover sometimes. He'll come off the edge sometimes. You know, he they kind of move them all around. That guy's 5'11", 207, and his backup is 5'10", 197. It, yeah. that's, that, that's where I say like it, it's the alignment-wise, he plays linebacker. I mean, again, the guy that played there last year was 6'2", 290, 18 and a half tackles lost. He's not dropping a play over the top, right? They're not rolling him back in cover two, Ryan. He is downhill. Um, And then on the back end, they tend to play off. They tend to play soft uh, to me. Uh, Soft, let me define that. I mean that in a football term, meaning like off, not like they're not physical. Kids from Navy aren't soft, right? Can we just – Right. But just soft coverage. The coverage sounds a little bit soft. They're willing to give up some of the the quick stuff and kind of give that to you because they want to be able to bring guys from all over. Now, here's the interesting thing, Ryan, and this is where I want to kick it to you. We watched them play last year, and we saw what happened against Notre Dame, right? Notre Dame just could not get the run game going. That was not an anomaly for Navy. Navy finished, I believe, Ryan, weren't they second nationally last year in rushing yards? Uh, They finished third. Excuse me. They finished third behind Georgia and James Madison. The next team, Marshall, was fourth. And they were about four yards ahead of Marshall, over over three between three four yards ahead of Marshall, and and part of it is their pass defense was terrible. If you take yes. away the two option teams they played last year, they gave up over two hundred eighty passing yards a game. However, this is the point that you made to me, Ryan, when we were discussing. You can't just look at the yards; you have to look at the yards per attempt. They ranked sixth in the nation last year in y- fewest yards allowed per attempt. This was a really good run defense last year that gave up 13 yards, 91 yards, 103 yards, 25 yards, 105 yards, 20 yards, 55 yards, 66 yards, 84 yards. They only gave up over 105 yards three times last year, Ryan. And in two of those games, it was against option teams, Army and and Air Force, right? Houston is the only non-option team that ran for over 105 yards against them last year. So this was not an anomaly. They were just really good at it. So what I want you to kind of break down a little bit, Ryan, is what is it about Brian Newberry's defense that makes him that way? Because you could could point to last year, but they only gave up 131 rushing yards in 2021 and only 4.0 yards per attempt in 2021. If you look at – you know, kind of where they were when he took his first year, 2019, when they really, they only gave up 105 rushing yards per game and 3.2 yards per attempt. So outside of the COVID year, which for Navy was a disaster because of just how everything was going, Navy got hurt. They weren't tackling and practice. I mean, it was just a disaster. But in the three non-COVID years, Ryan, since Brian Newberry has been there, they've given up 105.9, 131, and then 88.9 yards per, per rush. Their worst yep. yards per attempt season was 4.0. Let's for context, Notre Dame last year, 
gave up about 4.0. That was their that was one of Notre Dame's better rush defense seasons from a yards per attempt standpoint, but it was their worst last season. So or two seasons ago. This is an anomaly, Ryan. So I got to ask you, yeah. what is it about it? And it's and as you'll say, it's not just oh they load the box. It's not that simple, guys. It's not that yeah. simple because if it was just that simple, you'd gash them. You'd get those. You'd, they'd minus two, plus two, but then you'd have seventy, right? There's yeah. a plan to it, Ryan. And that's I, I, what I want to hear from you is, is you know because you're a defensive guy. What is it that you've seen from Navy that has allowed them to be so good at slowing down and stopping the run? against non-option teams under Brian Newberry? Well, I think Newberry is kind of a master of chaos a little bit, which in in the best possible best possible way I could say that, right? Because there are some defensive coordinators that believe in chaos, right? Think about what Alex Grinch is for USC now, for instance, right? One year when he was at Washington State, it worked great because everything hit that year, right? And you were consistent. And then every other year, it's like we're getting gashed because – there's no rhyme or reason to what we're being, what we're asking players to do. Because, Brian, I think the great thing about this Navy defense is yes, we can look at it and say that's a three four base defense, right? You're going to have three down linemen. They're not the biggest linemen in the world. I think the biggest one is the Cromwell kid that's about six foot three, 292 pounds or something like that, right? They're not the biggest guys in the world. Their other two the starting defensive so linemen, at, Ryan, are 256 yeah. pounds. And then their yes. their Raider who lines up as sort of like a Viper type at sometimes is 6'5", 227. Just wanted to give some context yeah. to what you're saying. You're absolutely correct. Yeah. And then their biggest guy off the bench is 280. Their next biggest guy off the bench is 278. So just to, to add to your yeah. point. No, no, it's perfect. I, I think that there is – there's an and there's an understanding of that, right? I think the best thing that coaches can do is understand who they are and play to those strengths. Navy's coaches, Newberry included in this – knows that they are not the biggest defensive line of all time. They're not. And their linebackers also aren't the big. Their, their best linebacker is, is Ramos, who's 5'11", 205 pounds. Like, they're not big kids. But what they understand is that we have undersized kids that understand how to create leverage and we can create chaos. How do we do that? We can call ourselves a 3-4 base, but there's times where I'm saying – they have some principles that look like a four-man front at times. They have principles where it does look like a three-three-five, where you kind of tuck the Viper behind the line, right? Similar to how Notre Dame does it at times, right? So there are three-three-five moments. There's four-two-five moments. There's three-four moments. I think the best thing that they do is that they operate off of alignment versatility. They align guys in different, and it's not because there's some there's some odd man front teams like Georgia, for instance, that they're not doing anything fancy, right? They're lining up a zero and two vortex across the board. And they're saying, we're just bigger than you. And we're just going to hold the point of attack and two gap. No, this Navy team is a slanting. We're going to get across your face and we're going to bring blitzes behind us. And we're going to create chaos. What was their big adjustment last year? Started bringing pressure and the pressure was coming from all over. But the thing was, is that they don't bring pressure just to bring it. They bring pressure out of necessity, but they understand what is happening around them as to at, so that they don't become gap unsound or gap disoriented. They understand what my any points are, and they play really well together. So there's going to be some times where even if Navy lines up in a, a head-up alignment across the board, 
They're going to be slanting away. They're going to be slanting to the strength. They're going to be creating a lot of movement up front. And the guys like Ramos and Harbor as inside linebackers, they're going to be blitzing in different spots. There's going to be double fires. There's going to be single fires. That striker that John Marshall played last year, they're going to bring him off the slot a ton. They're going to work from him in space. So I think more than anything, how you make an offensive line confused is to give them different front looks, right? There's going to be times where you're in a four. There's going to be time you're in a three. There's going to be times where you have two defensive ends in a three-man front that are lined up in true fours, and then you're slanting a ton. There's going to be other times where maybe one's in a three and one's in a five technique. You're just going to create different alignments, different looks to make offensive lines a little bit confused. You're going to bring pressures from all over the place, from the slot, from inside, double fires. It's movement-based is the best way that I can provide it, right? Think of, and it's not the same system because this was more of a 4-2-5 defense, but Brett Venables, when he was at his heyday in Clemson, he was incredibly aggressive from the second level. He brought pressures from everywhere, but it wasn't to the Alex Grinch level where it was just chaos, getting thrown thrown, thrown the kitchen sink of chaos at you. It was chaos out of structure, which is what I would best paraphrase what Navy does. So they're going to be pressure from the second level. They're going to play multiple fronts. Yes, it's a three, four by trade and a lot of adjustments off of it, but they are going also to, at times, they're going to play a lot of cover three and a lot of systems where that safety is also going to get pulled up into the box. So they are going to get a numbers advantage, but more than anything, Brian, like how are they so good at stopping the run? They run off of chaos, but it's very structured chaos, different fronts, different pressures, from all over the place, which caused a lot of headaches for offensive lines. Last year, Ryan, when you talk about – I mean, you just watched Marshall in the second half of that game. They were bringing him almost every play. I mean, they were just constantly bringing him because they didn't respect Notre Dame's pass game. They just said, hey, we're going to make you beat us throwing the ball. First half, they Notre Dame threw the ball really well in the first half. Why? Because, again, Navy tried to play more of a straight-up type of defense early. So Notre Dame was able to get the time to throw the ball down the field. They didn't have time to do that. Even when there was guys open, I mean, the, the interception that they threw, Matt Salerno's open on a quick outcut on third down, just catch it, throw it, get it out there. But, you know, pressure gets in Drew Fine, Pine's face. He holds a little bit long, gets batted in the air, pick it off. Navy goes down and scores a touchdown on the very next play. You know, so when, when you watch what they did, they basically, they said, hey, we're, we're going to mix up our looks. I thought they did a great job of confusing Drew Pine. And even some of the may, throws he did make, they he had a, a big third and 15 to Deion Colsey. Navy backed off. Just and Pine went boom, fifteen yard, you know, first down. They just realized, look, look, if we give them time, they're going to pick us apart because we just don't have the athletes. You remember, like back in fifteen and sixteen, when Navy had like that secondary that had like about three or four kids that were like legit power five caliber athletes on the back end of the defense. Had one of the better corner tandems Navy's ever had, and they could athletically kind of run with you a little bit back then. That they, that was they like don't Jordan. have that now. Jordan Riley, I think, was one of them, right? Yeah. I think he spent a little bit of time in the NFL. So, yeah, yeah that was I mean, a good team. They, that defense was really good, really yep. good back then. I'm trying to remember a couple of those other kids' names. Brandon Cle- Brandon Clements, he had four interceptions back, and he was a really good player back then. Um, Josiah Powell was a, a really rangy outside linebacker. Tyrus Wooten, uh, they had some really good players. Sean Williams was a good player for them back then, too. They don't have that kind of – athleticism on the back end in my opinion yeah. this year and 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 I think they know that and and that's why I expect us to see kind of a little bit of a 
of a more aggressive approach. But Notre Dame's going to have to find ways to get the run game going, Ryan. And I'm going to be fine. I'm very, and we'll have some, I'll, we'll talk about this a little bit as, as we get into the week about things Notre Dame can do to, to get there, but they're going to have to be able to run the football. They can't just throw it. But it also, I think you also don't need to pound your head against a wall trying to run against a brick wall where they're outnumbering you if you can just rip them up. Hey, do that to open up the run game. Yeah, I think that's going to be an interesting, uh, interesting look at it. But as you said, this is who he is. And, and what happens when teams do what Navy did to Notre Dame last year, Ryan, and it's an adjustment because we know we can't stop Notre Dame. So we have to put in this defense. It might last for a while, but once Notre Dame gets your couple reads, they're going to figure it out because it's not who you are. This is who Brian Newberry is, to your point. And and you can't have organized chaos in a game against Notre Dame because they're better than you, and you know you have to bring that. Right. There's a lot of people that, that have tried to emulate Clemson game plans against opponents they share in common, and it doesn't work. Because A, they didn't have Clemson's players, and B, yeah. there was a method to Brent Venable's madness, at least yeah. as a defensive coordinator. I don't know well, what it is gonna, as a head coach. But, I was going to say, as quirky and – annoying Brett Venables is as a head coach. He's a great defensive mind. Like there's right. never been a question about right. that. You yes. watch his defense and John Tenuta's and you may think, oh, those are similar. But no, there was a method to his madness where John Tenuta was just there. It was a very unsound defense. When you watch Brian Newberry game after game after game, you're waiting on him to be like, okay, winner team's going to figure it out. And they don't. Right. Because that's just, it's it's who they are. They have, in the, the point being, they have answers for stuff. They, do. they don't just line up and show these things, you know, and then last year they were triggering guys from all three levels in the second half last year, Ryan. Yep. I mean, they got really aggressive and they basically said, we don't think you can protect the quarterback long enough to beat us. I'm they very right. curious how that's going to be with this year with Notre Dame having an RPO built base system. And then also having a guy like Sam Hartman, who we, people can talk about, well, he's only six one, he's still two inches taller than the quarterback they had last year in this matchup. Very and true. he's got a little bit more of a higher release than Drew did. So you're even curious how that – because there was a couple batted balls last year on guys were open and just batted balls. But that's another thing that shows me that this is a team that's well coached. When they had those pressures and Notre Dame tried to get rid of the ball quick, you saw like six dudes immediately like throw their hands up at once. to try. That's that organized chaos you talk about, right? It's a structured chaos is the way I like to say it. You know, and um, I, I love what you said, master of chaos. That That is a great way of putting it because – he know he knows how to use that chaos to his advantage, but also not make themselves vulnerable to the things that that you often see from coordinators like that. And and I always get you always these these guys that spend their whole careers at the lower levels are always really interesting, right? Because one of two things is going to be true: a, they were just that guy; they just weren't yeah. necessarily good enough to be that. But the other one is these guys are really wicked smart football guys, and being at that lower level made them even better because they didn't go out and recruit the five stars. They couldn't go out and get the best players. I mean, maybe North Dakota State could, but like when you're at Kennesaw and you're at North, I think he was like North Alabama one year. And yeah. and when you look at his resume, he wasn't at North Dakota State. He wasn't at that kind of program. You've got to really make sure that you are on your P's and Q's as a defensive coordinator because I don't have the Jimmys and the Joes like I would have if I was at Georgia or Notre Dame right. or teams like that. And, and those guys tend to be really smart, like yes. really smart. And that's what I think we see from Brian Newberry is the guy that, man, that, that translates because he knows 
if he's, it, it may look like he's just bringing seven dudes, but then you watch the safeties at the moment the bl- the linebackers trigger, the safeties are immediately triggering down to protect in case there's a, a miss. Because when you blitz like that, if the running back gets through, there's not a lot there, right? But the way that they would trigger, the timing of it was really impressive. And as soon as Marshall come flying down, the safety comes hard down to replace him. And everybody does that. Everybody rolls it. But the the timing in which they did it, the technique, the angles they played at, like, man, this is a really well-coached football team. And, and they you play can see hard. it on film as well. Yeah, and they play hard. I mean, there's tr- yeah. the traditional stuff of, like, I don't want to be too cliche with this, but the guys that aren't incredibly talented usually make up for those laps, lacks of talent with their work ethic, right? And I think that that is evident on – I mean, I don't know, Brian. Like, every Navy game that I saw from last year defensively, like – I Team plays hard, man. Like they just get to their spots, they get where they're supposed to be, and they play with an absolute reckless abandon and high motor. So I think that you can't undersell that this Navy team is well coached from a technical perspective, and they play really hard. That you're going to have to earn what you get, right? Even with a bit like a Navy team that was bad last year, four and eight, they still had a good defense for the most part because you look at it and say. They make it work for it, man. Like it's not like nothing's easy. Like it's not easily given. You saw Notre Dame score what was it, thirty-two points in the first half last year or whatever it was, and then not get not score another point. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. And then you have to scrounge to hold off 35-32 in the end because the second half they were like, we're not stopping here. Like Notre Dame put took the foot off the gas a little bit and didn't have answers to some of the adjustments. And while Navy's like here we come. Like we're going to play harder than we did in the first half. So that effort might be a little bit cliche, but I don't think we can undersell it. The Navy team is not going to give up. They're going to play hard from snap one right. to snap hundred. That's just where we're at. Yeah. So that's kind of who Navy is, Ryan. I mean, that's, that's what this football team is going to be. We're going to dive into a little bit more of that. I hope as far as how to defend it, we'll, we'll see. We have a couple special fun things planned for you here this week, but uh, look, this is a, a great opportunity for Notre Dame to go out there and just kind of prove who to yourselves, who you are. I mean, that's the biggest thing about the opening weekend, Ryan. It's about proving something to yourself. Right. I don't know that Notre Dame is going to prove a ton. They're a 20 and a half point favorite. So if they win by 19, that's considered not being as impressive as it should have been. If you win by 40, it's like, ah, who cares? Maybe you've beat them that bad plenty of times. Right. I mean, Notre Dame, uh, a couple of years ago, Ryan, what was it like 45, 49 to 14 or something like that against Navy in 2019? Uh, Notre Dame beat them. Um, let's see, what was that score? 52 to 20. That was a ranked Navy team that went 11 and 2. N- nobody cares, right? It's Navy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but it's more about proving something. I mean, yeah, it's it's a more watching their name. Notre Dame was impressive. Now let's see what they do in two weeks when they go to NC State, right? That'll that'll be the 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 justifiable response yeah. to a Notre Dame convincing Notre Dame victory. It's more about you've got something to prove to yourselves. This is what you've yes. put all the work in for. Is everything that we've said to you and everything that you've said about yourselves, are you that team? This is your chance to go prove it. And the interesting dynamic to this too, Ryan, is what is Marcus Freeman's plan uh, okay. for this game is a, is a lot different than what they did uh, in 2012. He mentioned last night after the game in 2012, they flew back immediately. And, you know, they were obviously a little rusty that next game against Purdue. He said this year they're actually staying overnight. And honestly, I, I got I just I gotta be real about this, Ryan. This is one of those reasons why and and I don't like the fact that they're playing a an FCS team, but 
this is one of those years where if you're going to do it, this is the perfect timing to do it because you're sure. coming back from this being in Ireland. You could play bad the next week and still win by 30 against Tennessee Certainly. State, if we're being honest about it, right? Yes. Uh, but they're going to be out there longer, yep. get settled in. And I think they're flying out tomorrow, I believe. So they're going to have at least two days of practice out there. Then there's no rush to play the game, get dressed, and let's fly back and have an overnighter and a red eye and all that other kind of stuff. They're going to stay out there for an extra day, fly back on Sunday, and then get back at it on Monday as they get ready for Tennessee State. So uh, I I don't know if it's the right plan or not, Ryan. I've never coached a game overseas. I have no clue if it's the right plan or not. But I I think it makes sense why they're doing it. And uh, having Tennessee State the next week, I think, helps make some of those decisions. You, you may, if you got Ohio State coming up next week, you may. We need to get back to work. Let's just yeah. let's get home and get yeah. back to work, right? Uh, but yeah. yeah, but when you're playing Tennessee State, I think it gives you that privilege. And that's no disrespect to Tennessee State, but it just gives you that ability to say, "Hey, look, let's take our time. Let's be patient. Let's get out. Let's go out there. It's a business trip. We got something to accomplish, something to show, and then we'll get back home afterwards." And, and it sounds like right. that's their plan. So don't, it's going to be a fun weekend, man. Stone. Don't kiss the Blarney Stone. That's yep. that's uh, rule number one. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a fun weekend, man. I'm looking forward to seeing what this team is gonna do, and of course, we'll be we'll sure. be there afterwards uh, for the post game show to to talk all about it on Saturday as well. I forgot to mention that we do a post game show as well. So we're gonna go to a mailbag next, Ryan. But uh, before we do, I just want to thank everybody for being with us today. Hit that like button, folks. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. If you're listening via podcast platform, we would love a five star review. And if you have not done so already. Folks, sign up for the message board. You are missing out. Going to have some stuff coming up this week that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a lot more stuff that's going to be film-related on the board kind of post-game. And then some pre-game stuff on some of the bigger opponents. But I'm going to have a couple things this week uh, on the message board only, breakdowns of Navy uh, and and some of the stuff they did at Kennesaw State that we're going to dive into this week as well. So for Ryan, I'm Brian. Thanks for joining us for the first part of today's Irish Breakdown Podcast. We'll have a mailbag coming up next. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 